It's no secret that the labor market is tightening in the field of healthcare, maybe one of the tightest. Employers in home-based care frequently cite finding qualified workers as one of their top challenges. Some research cites the problem as a skills gap. That is that there simply aren't enough workers with the skill sets needed for particular positions in home care, such as therapists and nurses. In terms of personal care aides, the issue is more likely related to the rate of pay relative to the demanding nature of the job, especially here with a low unemployment rate in Massachusetts. Hello, I'm your host, Pat Kelleher, and this is Talking Home Care, a podcast of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. My guest today to talk all things regarding the home care workforce is Eric Schaber of Exact Recruiting. Exact Recruiting is the talent solution arm of the Simeon Healthcare Consulting Group. Welcome, Eric. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks. Welcome. As I said at the outset, home care associations like the Home Care Alliance have seen concerns about workforce supply and demand creep from what has been the fifth or sixth most highest concern among our membership to number one in the past year. What's going on here, Eric? Does the emergence of workforce as the number one issue surprise you at all? No, it doesn't. And and again, thanks for having me today. It's a topic I love to chat about, so um, jump right into it. It's interesting. I, I think you're exactly right. We've seen it grow from sort of on the peripheral of, of major concerns for organizations to the number one. That's not unique to Massachusetts, obviously. That's really on a national scale. I've seen it creep up and creep up. The interesting thing about it is that I think generally, you know, you could you could generalize that the baby boomer population is growing and that's creating more demand. And the more demand means we need more staff and that's really putting the crunch on workforce. And that is true. But I think what happened really in our industry is that as a whole, generally, we didn't plan very well for this labor crunch and for this growth of the industry. Meaning, if you think back, Pat, just a few years ago, workforce wasn't the number one issue, but it Mm -hmm. should have been. It should have been. It was, you know, two, three years ago, we all saw this coming. But it wasn't a situation where everybody was focused on it. We were still focused on the regulatory issues or the reimbursement issues, as well we should be. But ultimately, this has become the number one issue. And I think as an industry, we missed the mark a little bit in focusing on it years ago like we should have been. And now we're trying to play catch up. I couldn't agree more. I heard you say, Eric, at our recent New England Home Care Conference that you said right now home health care does not have as much of a recruitment problem as a retention problem. What, what does that mean to you? Yeah, and, and retention's a big issue. Obviously, I had the chance to speak on that at the New England conference. Um, you know, I'll give you a couple stats. So, American Nursing Association put out a report a couple years ago, and what they said, along with the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and what they had said was that we might have a million nurses leaving the workforce through the year 2024, through retirement or what have you. But during that same period, we're going to have a million new nurses entering the workforce. So we're going to have roughly the same amount of nurses within it. So how you feel about how hard it is to recruit is going to be very similar now as it will be in a few years. The the differences are is that we've never focused on retention, in my opinion. I always ask organizations when I'm presenting, and you might remember this from from the presentation in New England, you know, how many people in the room have a retention department? And no one ever raises their hand. Everybody's got a recruiting department. Everybody focuses on talent acquisition as they should, 
But too often the folks come in the door and they turn around, they go right back out the door because there's no real strategies to retaining the staff once you've gone through all the hard work of getting them. And so I can cite countless examples of clients of mine who, when they were asking me for help for recruiting and we dug in a little bit, we find that they don't focus on retention at all. And so once they focus on retention in and move the needle a little bit and maybe beat the benchmarks of what a great retention rate is, all of a sudden they don't have a recruiting problem anymore. So, you know, things like company culture and development and all of that um, really play into retention. We could talk more about that. But once you've retained your staff, you don't have to work so hard to recruit staff. You're not going to have as big of a problem. So again, I, yeah, I believe that if organizations really focus on what it takes to have a great retention strategy, that the recruiting problem will take care of itself. Interesting. Interesting. So you say you've worked with countless employees. Or you, you've seen evidence that employers with true attention to things like culture and rewarding employees can stem the turnover flows. So let me ask you two questions around that. Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there a number or a percentage of uh, a turnover rate that you think a company should be striving to, or is that unique to an individual company? Or, and then what are those culture and reward strategies that you've seen work? Okay, good. So first question, is there an, a number like a benchmark? And, and what I could tell you is that, you know, working with some of the large national players in this industry, I could tell you what they kind of say the average tenure of St. RN is. Um, and, and that really works out to about two years or just shy of two years is the average tenure for an RN in the home health industry. Now, certainly that can be a little bit different based on geography and based on specific companies. But if you kind of, you know, take the outliers out and look at the average, it's about two years. So knowing that if, if you look at your organization and your staff is averaging three years per position per nurse, well, you're doing pretty good. You're beating the national average. But if, if you're turning nurses over every year and a half on average, when you've got work to do. And, and then frankly, I think two years is pretty pathetic anyways. Um, and I think that's a sign that, again, our industry doesn't focus on the retention piece. If you look at some of these big companies out there, right, the largest public players or just the large regional players, I mean, they're, they're hiring hundreds of people a week. And why? Why can't they keep some of them? Why do they have to consistently hire that many people? It's because they're not focusing on the retention piece of it. So uh, as a number to, to strive for, in my opinion, two years is the average, but that's not good. I think if you do a really good job, I've seen clients of mine who really do focus on the culture and taking care of their staff and retaining their staff. And I see them averaging three, three and a half years per position. And that little change from two to three and a half years can make a world of difference, an absolute world of difference in, in not just how, how difficult or easy it is to run the company, but even the profitability of the organization and just the overall success of the organization. So, um, th- you know, personally, that's what I would be striving for is to get north of three years per position if you're a nurse. And if you're not getting that, then you got to look at why and what can you do to change it. And so I think the second part of your question was more about the culture piece. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I'll share with you that we get a chance to work with companies that have great cultures. And when we're doing our recruiting work, our search work for those types of companies, it's very easy to find very talented staff to go to work for them. 
They want to work for organizations that have great reputations, that they know have a solid company culture, that take care of their staff, that develop their staff. The good quality staff that is out there want to work for those organizations. So those companies that don't focus on culture, and maybe it doesn't mean that they're a terrible company, right? It's just, that's not their, it's not their focus. They're just focusing on the bottom line. They're just going about their business heads down working and they're getting a job done. They might be doing an okay job at it, but that's not driving the engagement of your staff. And there's a statistic out there that says, and before I tell you this, I'll tell you that the average engagement level across the United States is 49%. 49% is the engagement level. 49% of staff are engaged, which I think in our industry and for what we do, taking care of the senior population, we ought to be way more than 49%. But that's the average. So the statistic says is that an employee is twice as likely to stay with your organization if they consider themselves engaged. So – that statistic, and that was put out there by Gallup, if you just look at that one statistic, you're twice as likely to keep your staff if you have an engaged staff. Why wouldn't you focus on developing a company culture and really focus on that from the top level down because that's a way you can move that needle on retention? It, it's amazing to me that when you the two years figure because I've never heard that mm-hmm. and it's shocking to me and I want to circle back to how that two years sort of relates to you know the new um, generation of workers that are coming out yeah. who obviously tend to be more mobile than we did at, at at the at our age the baby boomer level or our parents who tended to stay with the same company You're but right. before I get that I just want to you know put bring up the you know the elephant in the room because I think I've heard you say you know relative to engagement and um, culture, that it's not all about compensation. And when people mm-hmm. leave at that two-year mark, you can actually cite to the fact that they're not necessarily leaving for more money, which is why we think people leave. Yes. And so certainly money plays a part. Absolutely. It's a big, it's a big piece of it. I personally think there's four kind of buckets to the retention uh, sort of strategy, what you have to do to retain somebody compensation is one of those buckets. I mean, it's got to be fair. It's got to be competitive. You can't be underpaying somebody and expect them to stay with you. Nobody in their right mind would do that. We all have bills to pay, right? So the compensation is a piece of it. But if you're at the market value, if you're doing what you should, you should be able to keep somebody. But there's other, there's three other really components of it, in my opinion, that are just as important. There is the cultural piece, the engagement, having an engaged staff. That's that kind of warm, fuzzy. Are you engaged? Is it good chemistry between you and the employer? Are your values aligned? All and everything that goes into a company culture. That's the second one. There's the piece that's all about professional development. You know, a a good quality employee doesn't want to come and just do their job and never learn anything new. So they want to be able to develop as a professional. So management training, continuing education, just building somebody up so they could see their career moving in an upward direction. Um, and we can talk about that a lot. It's not always about a job title, right? But it, it's, it's about just developing as a professional. And then that final bucket really is about advancement opportunities, a chance to grow and move into that next level position. And that creates obviously challenges with some organizations that might not have a lot of scale, but mm-hmm. again, if you're giving, if you're developing your staff, if you're retaining and keeping your staff, you as an organization will probably be realizing significant success. And if that's the case, the organization should be growing as a whole. And if the organization's growing as a whole, even if it's a smaller organization, your top staff that you're trying to retain, 
you should be able to offer them some advancement opportunities. It all kind of goes hand in hand, so to say. So yes, money, absolutely important. You got to pay people what they're worth, but it's way more than money when you talk about really everything it takes to retain somebody. Right. That whole idea of advancement opportunities, I think, is, again, something that the new generation of workers um, in particular seems to be interested in. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about what your thoughts, you know, are the, are the millennial workers that different than our current mm-hmm. workforce? Um, where there's a, you know, you could go to seminars and seminars on that. But in the end, what does that really mean to have a yeah. new millennial workforce? It's it's interesting because you know I always joke when I'm speaking in front of folks that you know millennials are people too you know because we always we always talked about them like there's these strange things out there and what are they and how do we how do we take advantage of them in in the right way but they absolutely look at the world different and I can kind of speak about it because I'm sort of just outside that millennial generation just a year or two older than it. And so I can relate really to to both the millennials and the generation X. I kind of can see it from both sides. The fact is this millennial generation, this younger generation has grown up in a very different world than what I grew up in. And certainly what my parents and, and, and your parents and whatnot grew up in the technology and just the flexibility that they've had growing up is totally different. And it's made them look at the world and the workforce different. So all the articles and all the studies that I've read and in my personal experience, I employ a ton of millennials working for my organization. And I, I've learned to see how they think. And the reality is, yes, they are way more willing to move on to another job if, if they don't like what's going on in their current position. They have no intentions of staying with somebody just to say, hey, I put in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I was growing up, even not growing up, but just out of college, I even had that feeling of, oh, I can't leave this first job yet. It's only been two and a half years. Mm-hmm. It's not the mentality any longer. And so here's what it's all about for a millennial. If they don't find purpose in what they're doing, if they don't feel like this is, this is a purpose for me, this is meant to be my career, this is meant to be my job, my organization has a great mission, I can get behind it, I love what I do, I love this organization, they're not going to stay. And so again, then that sort of trickles up the ladder to leadership, to ownership, to management, whoever it is that's running the place. It's culture. It's all about culture for a millennial. You have to set that vision. You know, what is your mission? What is your vision? What is your values? You have to tie it to this millennial workforce and get them engaged and excited about what you're doing. Because if they're not, they'll look down the street to what is getting them excited about what they're doing. So, you know, in general, yes, I do think they're different. I mean, on average, a millennial changes jobs four times in their first decade. Mm. But it used to be that, that you know, because the millennial generation really start, first started going to work these past 10 years or so, but um, everyone was freaking out saying, oh, my gosh, they're going to change jobs four times every, every 10 years. Next thing you know, you do the math, they're going to have 25 jobs in their lifetime. That's really not the case. What the research has shown is that after that first 10 years, that generation really does settle in. But if you could focus on what, if you could find what it is that drives them, if you can get them engaged with your mission, they will stay, you know? Now, just like any other person, just like my generation, my parents' generations, you know, they're still interested in being compensated fair. They're still interested in professional development. They're still interested in, 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 you know, continuing education, all that. But they're absolutely about being engaged and, and believing in that mission of the organization. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely different. And one last little statistic, by the year 2025, they're going to make up 75% of our workforce. So Amazing. 
we got to get in front of that. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get in front of it. And I, I think clearly, you know, from everything you've just said, you, you, you're totally bullish on the fact that organizations can do much more around these issues of purpose and meaning mm-hmm. and engagement for retention strategies. But I, as you were talking, I was thinking that maybe there's something we can do using that same language mm-hmm. around the initial recruitment strategies, yes. the way we approach graduating nurses. And, you know, if the, the language that you're talking, um, maybe in our um, initial recruitment, either as an individual organization or maybe as an industry, there's more that we need to do with our nursing schools and our nursing students to promote work and home care as purposeful, as meaningful, home care and hospice, by the way. Um, and maybe there's more of that language that we need to be speaking in our recruitment as well. Absolutely. But but even more than that, Pat, uh, do we use any language to recruit to schools or on the national scale as a whole? I mean, I don't personally remember seeing advertisements from whether it's nursing associations or home care associations or whatnot, really targeting – not not in any great great scale. Like I don't think we do a great job marketing our industry as a whole, you know? You know, we, we spend time, I know you do, I go to Washington for the March on Washingtons and I lobby at my state level and I do what I can. And we do that and we go and we talk to the legislatures and congressmen and whatnot. But outside of those people, outside of us who are in the industry and then when we're talking to our, our, our lawmakers, who else knows about what we do if they haven't had that experience in their personal lives? You know, if I walk up and down my street in my neighborhood – Unless someone had an experience with hospice, like with a parent or home care or something like they don't really even know what it is that we do. Right. And, and, and that's a problem, you know, because why would a nursing student look to home health as a real career when they've never really been engaged by it their entire life? All they've ever seen is nurses in the doctor's office and then nurses in the hospital. And they think that's what being a nurse is. I'm generalizing here, right? But mm-hmm. – as a whole, I think our industry has to, you know, and it's not just the associations, it's the employers as well, have to get very, very, very active with the nursing schools and then just marketing what it is that home health, hospice, palliative care, home care does as a whole to the general public. And the reason I believe that is because, you know, when you think about trying to move the needle, whether it's some regulatory issue or reimbursement, if the general public gets behind our cause – we can force the hand of lawmakers. If it's just us few folks within the industry, you know, making noise, you know, the person that's selling hot dogs in, in the hot dog association might be able to make more noise, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think there's a big problem with marketing. And then that does tie into your question of should we use different language? And absolutely, we need to market the industry to the generation that is. And like I said, 75% of the workforce is going to be millennials by 2025. You're right. And sometimes I think, you know, we have to, as an, as an, as a, an industry and as a state association worker with our nationals, we have to be out there saying, here's all the problems in our industry with paperwork, with, with you know, with funding, with, um, you know, uh, compensation, with regulation. But sometimes I think we shoot ourselves in the foot by sort of sort of saying, woe is us, home care, woe is us. So you're right. We have to start saying 
you know, but what a rewarding, purposeful career mm-hmm. that can be had in our industry because I think, you know, it's really one-to-one nursing in a way. You know, we have nurses in Massachusetts talking about staffing ratios and having too many patients uh, per nurse in the hospitals. Um, but we don't really talk that much about the fact that our nursing is always one-to-one. Um, yeah. Our hospice and home health nurses. That it's you know there are different challenges in the industry, but certainly in terms of those issues that are perplexing hospital nurses, we don't have them in home care. It is, and, and you know what was interesting is I was listening to Bill Dombey talk last week at another state association that I was also at, and he was talking about how he was in for for just visiting a, a physician's office or, or a doctor or something, and he had three different nurses come in and be filling out the same amount of paperwork, asking the same questions three different times, and his comment was. You know, nurses in our industry say that, you know, some folks don't like it because of all the paperwork they got to fill out. And here I'm wa- watching in this more ambulatory setting, people asking me the same questions and filling out the same amount of paperwork three different times. So every, you know, vertical of this healthcare workforce has its challenges. It's just that I think we can market these things that are good about home health much better than we do, like what you were just talking about. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we can move the needle on that, but we need to change the way we message it. And we need to just, in general, message it as a whole. Because, I, again, I just, I just don't, I don't see it in my everyday life. I only see it in our work lives where we're embedded in it. If we want to think about home care being preferred employers, I think we also have to recognize the fact that there may not be jobs in hospitals for graduating yep. nurses. And we're seeing that now in the greater Boston area that our large hospital employers are not hiring new grads and mm-hmm. we need to take that um, and run with it in some way, shape or form. I had that exact question come up last week at a conference. They're asking me, you know, they're, these, these staff are leaving for whatever reason and going to work for the health system. And what can I do about that? And my comment was exactly what you just said there. It, we all know that care is being pushed outside the four walls of the hospital and that's not going to happen overnight. But if we envision what our healthcare community is going to look like five years and 10 years from now, I mean, hospitals are shrinking. You know, the post-acute world is where the jobs are going to be. So at some point, these nurses and therapists or care, whoever we're talking about workforce-wise, at some point, they're not going to have a choice <laughs> but to look at our space for career opportunities. I mean, that's just going to be what it is. But until we get there, how do we compete is obviously the challenge. Uh, but yeah, I agree that the, the jobs are not going to be within the hospitals. You know, we need to message, we need to work with our local uh, colleges and, and educate them on that and be part of the curriculum. You know, most nursing schools, there's no thing about home health in the curriculum. Why not? You know, that's where it's headed. And it's up to us as employers. It's up to the, the home health agencies. Not You can't just wait for the state to do it, right? Or the federal government to do it. It's up to the employers to work with these local colleges and universities and, and get that curriculum put into place. And then the second piece of that conversation is new grad programs. You know, very, very rare to hear organizations having new grad programs unless they have a lot of scale. But even your smaller organizations are going to have to find a way to start bringing nurses in right out of college and having them sit on the bench and work with somebody for six months or however long it takes before they could be on their own and productive. Because if they don't, they're just not going to have an opportunity to find staff altogether. It's just getting that difficult to grab somebody. So the organizations that are staying ahead of the curve as far as uh, developing their own new staff through these new grad programs are going to have a tremendous advantage over those that aren't. 
I totally agree. You know, we've been talking a lot about professionals and, mm-hmm. you know, we could probably do a whole separate podcast on this, but, you know, in terms of the home health aid workforce, do you think some of the same ideas about engagement and reward and purpose um, hold for that workforce or do we have a different challenge there? Well, I think we have more challenges there because they're probably even more in demand. Um, so it's just going to make it feel even more difficult. But I do think the same principles can hold true. And I think the number one principle when we're talking about the caregiver workforce is to understand how you're treating them. Um, I work with a few clients that, you know, obviously just home care organizations, non-skilled uh, non-medical organizations and, and the ones that are doing it good, they treat their caregivers like royalty. I mean, they treat them as if they're a brother or a sister or a family member. They, they truly care about them. They truly take care of them. They try and go out of their way. And it's not all about money. I mean, they'd, they'd love to pay them more, but you can only pay what you can pay based on your reimbursement, right? So they pay them what they can pay them, but then they try and do anything they can to make their lives easier. They try to make them feel special. They try and recognize their performance and the, and the things that they do that is good. Anything you could do, again, that all is part of culture. So when you see organizations doing a good job at that, they're doing better at employee and even at the caregiver level. Now, I will say there's ways to think outside the box when it talks to when, – when you're thinking about either recruiting caregivers or retaining them – um, you, you know, you're competing with more than just other home care agencies, right? You could be competing with the Starbucks or the McDonald's or the retail stores to find that same staff. So you know, what can you do differently thinking outside the box, non-traditional ways of recruiting? You know, some of the ideas that I have heard very good responses from are organizations that literally start their own schools or partner with schools to, you know, graduate home health aides or CNAs. That's been very popular, especially with some of the larger organizations that that need lots, you know, in specific geographic regions. The other things is is putting in place different referral bonuses and incentives for them to refer their friends and family members to come to work for the organizations uh, as well. That ultimately ties them into, you know, it's a never ending incentive. As long as everybody's there, they continue to be bonus. There's some neat ideas on that that's really helped with retention. But, you know, in general, overall, the same principles apply. And it all starts at the top. It all starts about caring for your employees. I was going to suggest that you say one thing that an employer cannot neglect or must do, but maybe you just said it, just care (laughs) for people, care about their lives and and demonstrate to them that you do. Yeah. You know, I always say that, um, you know, when it comes to this industry, the organizations with the talent, whoever has the talent at the end of the day is the one that's going to win. Whether you're a for-profit, not-for-profit, hospital-based unit, whoever has the talent is going to quote-unquote win. And when it comes to talent, it's ta- you know, whether you're recruiting or retaining, that's how I usually leave it with folks when I speak is to take care of your staff. If you take care of their staff and you truly care for their well-being, they will take care of your customers who, oh, by the way, are patients – and ultimately, everybody will be happy. You'll, you'll have better outcomes. You'll have better satisfaction. And you'll keep your staff or, or be able to recruit more staff because of the reputation that you'll get. I like that. Talent, talent is going to win. There's going to be yeah. certainly demand. Um, and those who have the workforce or the talent, as you call them, are the ones who will survive. Um, any closing thoughts, Eric? I think you've, you've, you've uh, shared a lot with, um, you know, your thinking around this. I know you're working directly with a lot of organizations and with associations. Um, any closing thought? 
Yeah. I mean, last comment is no matter what you do, be proactive, do something. Don't let this, this challenge, this topic just sit in the corner. It needs to be number one on your list. It needs to be a part of every meeting. Be proactive in developing these recruiting and retention strategies. Absolutely. Number one on the list. Thank you, Eric. As I said, Eric Shaver is principal with Simeone Healthcare Consulting. Eric, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our website is exactrecruiting.com. And again, it's part of Simeone, which is simeone.com. And you could reach me at esharber at simeone.com, S-I-M-I-O-N-E.com. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, listeners. Remember Eric's message, talent is going to win. Thank you. Talking Home Care is a production of the Home Care Alliance of Massachusetts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about our association, visit us at www.thinkhomecare.org. Thank you.